0: Okay, everybody, (laughs) I know that I could just let you go and you could talk about your weekend plans all night long, but I got to pull you back. I'm hoping that you picked something out, and based on what you picked out, I want to do a little survey here. I want to kind of find out who in the room landed where. So um, whose plan involves some kind of food? Yeah. Whose plan involves some kind of concert or sporting event? Okay, whose plan involved being outside? Whose plan involved being outside in a warmer climate? Okay, there it is. I knew you all showed up. You're smart people. Um, whose plan involved the ocean? There you go. Okay. Um, whose plan involved Disney? My grandmother's lived in Florida my whole life, so, like, I'm a big Disney fan, but then I married a woman who could kind of, like, take it or leave it. We actually did take our kids to Disney several years back and spent the day in the park doing all the, the things that you do when you're there. And walking out of the park, you know, I just kind of watched Mandy had kind of just an average day. And so as we're walking out of the park, I tell she was in kind of this deep thought bubble and she was smiling on her face. And she just said in a very not negative way, she said, that place is perfectly designed to keep you wanting more. I was like, Yeah, you know, like, it's fair. And, like, Disney's marketing, they're always going to say that they are the happiest place on earth, right? Which is really positive. Like, it sounds like a wonderful place to be. is the happiest place on earth. The problem with that is if you believe that's true, then anywhere else that you are in the world is, like, a slightly less happy place. You may not be, like, totally unhappy, but you will be less happy than you would be if you were in the happiest place. Like, you take your kids to the park, kind of happy, but not as happy as you could be because to be as happy as you could be then that'll be $120 to get into the park. And then once you get into the park, you could choose to like bring in like a sack lunch for free and enjoy like a squashed peanut butter and jelly sandwich for $0 or you could pay for like their average price meal for like $15 and that would probably make you more happy than you would be with a squashed peanut butter and jelly sandwich or for $200, you can have dinner in Cinderella's Castle with Cinderella, and that would make you the most happy if you could do that. And when you're done at the end of the night, you could go stay at the La Quinta Inn off site for about $100 a night. That might make you a, a, a certain amount of happy. Or you could stay at one of the resort hotels for about $500 a night and be pretty happy or you could stay at one of the bungalows on the lakeside of the Polynesian Resort. I'm not making these numbers up, which is $5,000 a night. And then you could be really happy. Now, before we get all judgy at our Disney friends here, uh, you really could apply this like same logic to everything that you thought of during this conversation. So anything that you named, I bet it's on a sliding scale. I bet there's a kind of good version, and there's a better version, and then there is a happiest place on earth version. I looked up uh, today the Super Bowl tickets that you can still buy resold. Right now, the the bad seats are $5,000, and the good seats are $40,000. And if someone gave that to you, I think there's a lot of people who that would make very happy. Like, that'd be really cool. I'm the grocery shopper in our family, and I know that uh, this week at Myers they have a sirloin steaks on sale for $6 a pound, which is a great price. Or someone could cook it for you at the Capitol Grill downtown Milwaukee for about $60 a pound, and that would make me happier. <laughs> and if any of these things would make you happier than the other version, you don't need to feel bad about that. I love the idea of other people cooking for me. If it's a a $60 steak or it's a mystery burrito at Taco Bell, it's good news that I don't have to do any dishes. That makes me happier. This is pleasure. There are many, many ways for us to experience pleasure in life. God has filled this earth with pleasure And it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, Today is week four in our six-week series through the book of Ecclesiastes. We have talked about the problem of time, the problem of work, the problem of wisdom, and today we're going to talk about the problem of pleasure. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, So if time is difficult, if we're all going to die and we aren't going to live forever, and time's going to cause some problems, then forget about it. And if work is a problem, then maybe, maybe we just stop caring about work. And if wisdom isn't going to be the answer, maybe we don't care about wisdom, and maybe we just focus in on pleasure. And what if I made the focus of my life into making myself happy? How far will that go, and how far can I, will it take me? Let's open our Bibles tonight to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're just going to read the first verse as we get started here tonight. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1 says this. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this room tonight. We thank you for the gathering of your people. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the new friends that we have here. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your presence to rest with us. We're going to spend about 20 minutes here in your word, and I pray that as we do, your word would come to life in us, that you would shape our hearts, allow us to be listening far more carefully to you than we are listening to anyone else. I pray that your spirit would guide us and allow your truth to be seen tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, if you're joining us this week, I need to remind uh, those who were here of a word that we've been talking about, and it's a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is hevel. This Hebrew word appears 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is only 12 chapters. You could read the whole thing in about 30 minutes, but in those 12 chapters, it mentions this one word 38 times, and it's probably translated in your Bible as meaningless or vanity But this word means so much more. Hevel is fleeting like a mist. It is an enigma like a vapor. The writer of Ecclesiastes is not saying that all pleasure is worthless or meaningless, but he's saying that all pleasure is a paradox. Pleasure can fill us up, and pleasure can leave us so empty. In the opening of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the writer is going to take some time to kind of walk down his memory lane of the experiences that he's had pursuing pleasure. And as we do this tonight, he's going to name out five different pursuits of pleasure. And as we do this, I want to see how we can uh, resonate with those and find the ones that maybe have been a spot for us that we have been trapped in and the places that we pursue the past. We pursue pleasure. Nothing is wrong with pleasure. God has planted pleasure into this world for his people to enjoy, and yet the paradox is that with pleasure, it's very easy to get lost in the mist, and God wants you to be able to find meaning in the mist, and as you walk through this life, as you walk through Hevel, that you would find him and know him and find a life filled with purpose. Let's find these pursuits. We'll read the first, uh, the second and third verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. The first pursuit he mentions here is laughter. So what if I'm just taking myself too seriously? Maybe a good joke and a light conversation will help me enjoy my life more. What if I cared less about work? What if I cared less about what other people thought about me or said about me? What if I just lightened up? You know, Can you think of the, the funniest person that you know in your life? You know, Maybe it's a, a comedian that you like to listen to or it could be a family member. Someone from work, that when you spend time with them, you just feel so lightened. It's like that load comes off. You know, doesn't it feel great? Isn't there wisdom in not taking ourselves too seriously? Yes, there is. There's wisdom in this. There is pleasure in this. There's a lot of heavy stuff in this world. And if we only think about the heavy stuff, it is going to weigh us down. You will break. But what does the writer of Ecclesiastes call laughter? He calls it silly. Uh, Another translation would call it madness. You know, the next time you see someone laughing, I want you to point at them and say, madness, and see how that goes for you. But he's pushing, and he says, it looks like pleasure, and it's not a bad thing, but yet it is still something that you can get lost in. Proverbs 14, 13 says, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Can I say that again? Because I think this is so true. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Here's the problem with laughter. It's a nice break, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. If you take a 30-minute break from folding laundry to watch funny cat videos, the laundry still has to get done. It's still there. The benefit is gone so quickly. Laughter is fun, but it can also be a waste. It's madness. It's hevel. The second pursuit the writer of Ecclesiastes mentions is wine. And then tonight we're going to include with wine any kind of substance, food, or drink that controls or guides our emotions, our state of mind. You know, I grew up in the church. In the church I grew up in, using alcohol or cigarettes to alter your mood was not okay. But using coffee or cheeseburgers or Tylenol was perfectly fine. There's a paradox here, right? So I, I get it. We could all eat uncooked brown rice every single meal and we would survive. You wouldn't feel like you were living, but you would be alive. We could do that. We could live in a place where our food and drink was as bare and unexciting as possible. But yet, God's designed this world that is beautiful and intricate and has so much variety in it, and this world is filled with salt and garlic and butter and Olive Garden breadsticks. And he's created this place where there is so much pleasure in the food that we eat and in the drinks that we drink. And this is a gift from God. There is no guilt that should be associated with having a great meal. And yet, Hevel, fullness is momentary. Fullness is fleeting. Fullness leaves us so quickly. And there's there's nothing wrong with Hevel. But what happens when we get lost in it? What happens when we keep chasing and chasing after fullness? What happens at the bottom of a thousand cans of beer or the bottom of a thousand pints of Ben and Jerry's? Is, Is somewhere we lose our way? I had a a good friend, I, the last time I got to spend a day with him was 10 years ago, so it's been a long time. His name's Michael, and he was one of the most, like, uh, bright, funny, smart, witty, handsome kind of guys. And I, I, I knew that Michael liked to party, um, but I hadn't really kind of gotten a grasp for where that had hit in his life. And so 10 years ago, when we got to spend a weekend together, as both of us were in a wedding together for a mutual friend. And so he and I were assigned, you know, two hotel rooms next to each other. And so we spent a lot of time together that weekend. And I got to kind of catch up on him and see where his habits were at at that point. And so by 10 a.m. in the morning, we're kicking off with, like, a Red Bull, cigarettes, and bourbon. And then throughout the afternoon, you know, I was noticing that, like, he he's not eating a meal. But there were several prescription meds he was taking throughout the afternoon. Um, twice he skipped away from the wedding party. Uh to smoke the weed that was stashed in his car. (sighs) And I'm just watching. It's like, man, this is just, it's just one to the next. Like at no point is there a a healthy substance going into his body. At the end of the night, I could tell that he was, you know, stressed and wired from this. And so I said, hey man, if you need anything, you know, just text me. So at 2 a.m. he texts me and he says, hey, you want to go get burgers? I said, yes, yes, because you're not driving. So so I, I took him at 2 a.m., we sat, sat down at a steak and shake and had a burger and talked as he came down off of that high and had an extremely meaningful conversation um, that, I, that I wish put him on a better path than it did. So two years ago, um, my friend who got married called me to let me know that Michael overdosed and died two years ago at like 30. It, it's so easy to get lost in pleasure that... There is this chasing. Fullness is so fleeting. And so there are so many good things for you to eat and drink in this world. And yet, in pleasure, it's missed. And if we begin to find our meaning in that hevel, we're just going to get lost along the way. Let's read the third pursuit that the writer mentions in verses 4 and 5. He says, I also tried... To find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. So the third pursuit, we're going to call it hobby. So this isn't the stuff that, that he bought. This is the stuff that he designed and he made. And he didn't do it for work. He did it for pleasure. So anyone who's ever crocheted anything should be paying attention right now. Anyone who owns more than four Starbucks mugs should be paying attention. Anyone who owns more than four fishing poles or guns or or streaming subscriptions, should be paying attention. He's talking to you about these hobbies. There is no harm in your hobbies. You're not doing this because you have to. You're doing this because you want to and because you find pleasure in your hobby, in your accomplishments, in your collections, in your creations, in the way that you spend your time. There's joy in that. Uh, Many years ago, Mandy's grandmother, wanted to make a quilt for my daughter Paisley when she was born. Um, I'm not a master of quilts, as you might guess. Um, from what I do understand about quilting, I believe it started in like prairie times as a way to have a, make a thrifty priced blanket out of scraps that exist. I don't think that's where the art form currently exists. I went with Grandma to Hobby Lobby, and she had this masterful design set up. She purchased about 14 different swatches of fabric, and we're checking out at Hobby Lobby, and it's like $250 for like a three-foot-by-three-foot blanket. i I think we've lost our way here, Grandma. This is going to be the most expensive blanket this this child is ever going to receive. But it wasn't about the money. It was about the art and the craft and the the handmade love and this this thing that she had passion about that she loved and she could pass on to her her granddaughter. We all have things like this in our lives that we are passionate about and there is pleasure in that. Whether you are remodeling your basement to make a man cave or you're remodeling your basement to make more room for your ceramic dolls collection, (laughs) like whatever your thing is, there is no sin in this there is no guilt in this but there is hevel in it and we have to be asking ourselves the question where does it end like where where does that run out when does your hobby become an unbalanced part of your life when does your hobby begin to damage your finances when does your hobby begin to diminish the priority of your spiritual health i mean we all remember when a 30 inch tv was huge right <laughs> And yet, the moment you buy the 90, they're going to come out with the 110 next week, right? And it's just, the line's just going to keep moving. And more leaves us full for a very short period of time. The last two pursuits are found in verse 8. Ecclesiastes 2.8 says, I collected great sums of silver and gold the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. This is the PG portion of our sermon tonight. So the fourth pursuit is wealth. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 says it like this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness the more you have the more people come to help you spend it so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers people who work I love this listen carefully people who work hard sleep well whether they eat little or much but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep I think that's so true There's a theory in sociology known as hedonic adaption. Hedonic adaption, the hedonic, it's the same root word as hedonism. So hedonism would be the pursuit of pleasure. And so hedonic adaption is this idea of how our bodies, our minds adapt to pleasure. So let's say that something new and like really exciting happens in your life. So you get a, a $10,000 raise at your job, or you get a, a promotion, a new house, a new car, a, a marriage, a new baby, and something like really exciting happens. And when those exciting things happen, there is a spike in your happiness. You are like, the car's here, it's really cool, it smells great, right? It is phenomenal how quickly. Your body and your mind adapt and they turn the new high back into normal. Right? So, that new car six months from now is not so exciting. And that we adapt, we bring that back down, and we lose that excitement. Our expectations have an uncanny ability to adapt quickly. The new marriage, the new baby, the new divorce don't seem to really shift things. If you were unhappy before, then you're probably still going to be unhappy after the highs don't last. If you ask people what their perfect salary would be, most people will name a salary that is between $15,000 and $50,000 more than what they're currently making. And I think if everyone in the room thought about their salary and someone said, hey, fifteen to 50000 would that make a significant difference in what you're able to do and your purchasing power and your happiness, I think everyone in the room would say, yeah, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you. What's interesting about those numbers is that whether I ask someone who's making 30 grand a year, or 50, or 100, or 200, they're all gonna say the same thing. And we should learn from this, right? That if I say that more will be enough, and the person next to me already has more, and they're still saying the same thing, Maybe there's something that I'm missing here. Another term they'll talk about in economics is what they call golden handcuffs. So the idea of golden handcuffs is that our success uh, becomes a, a, a chain for us. So let's imagine that you make 40000 a year and you have found a, a place in Milwaukee where you can live well and modestly and in a, a joyful way and balance out at 40000 a year. So you've got like, an apartment, that's good, it's not the best apartment, but it's good. You've got a used car, and you've got Mint Mobile, and uh, you don't have cable, right? So, like, you've, you've got this all figured out how you can make this happen, and you're working really well. Well, then you go into work next Monday, and your boss goes, great news, promotion for you, you're now going to make 60000 a year instead of 40000 a year. And you have a choice. You could stay living exactly the same way. It was already working. You could stay the exact same place and with an extra 20 grand a year, you could be saving for retirement, you could relieve yourself of any kind of financial stress, but that's not what we do. More often than not, when that raise comes, our standard of li- living goes right up there to the $59,999, just right up there or beyond that, and we're going into debt, and we push our standard of living up as high as it can go, and they call this golden handcuffs because your success is also your pain. So you now have no choice to take a different job, or to go part-time, or retire a year early, all of those options are off the table because you are chained to the success that you have. I would love for Ecclesiastes to lead each one of us into a humble reevaluation of our spending. When we think about our wealth, whether or not you make your financial decisions by yourself, or you make them with a spouse, it's the beginning of the year, we're all doing our taxes at some point in the next three months, it would be great to sit down and say, when I think about the way I'm spending my money, are, are we drifting into the mist? Is there a place where we've convinced ourselves that just a little bit more would make ourselves happy? And yet, modesty, self-control is the better path towards joy. The fifth pursuit is sex. Um, And we're going to connect with this also, just any kind of sexual gratification. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes says that he had many beautiful concubines. So in the book of 1 Kings, it claims that King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Um, That's insane. I can barely keep up with one anniversary. And so the idea of this crazy rich powerful man having a thousand sexual partners um, is wild and i look at his story and you might look at his story and go i'm not there and yet if i think about his story i think there's many things we're facing today that king solomon never had to face i think the presence and the pressure of sexual gratification and sexual pleasure is as present in our culture now as it has ever been I think King Solomon didn't have the ability to divorce and remarry as easily as we do. I think King Solomon didn't live in a culture that accepts the fluidity of gender the way that our culture does. King Solomon didn't live in a culture that accepts the fluidity of sexuality like our culture does. King Solomon didn't have access to internet pornography. These pressures in our life that are wrapped around the pleasure of sex can make this such a challenging time to live in and a challenging time to pursue God's plan for our sexuality. You know, sexual gratification is not a sin. God designed sex. God designed you. And in the canopy of his design, there is so much good. God made you and God made sex. You know, the average age of an American man who gets married is 30 years old. And the average age of a Christian American man that gets married is 25, right? Because if that Christian man is choosing to honor the woman that he loves by waiting until he is fully committed to her before they have sex together, that man does not want to wait five more years, and neither does she. You know, when we pursue sexuality in the canopy of God's design, there is so much good There's so much protection, so much safety, so many great things, so much pleasure that God has designed for our life. And yet, when we drift out into the mist, there is so much pain. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that church has made over its history is to make sex unholy. To bring so much condemnation, so much editing into our lives that we forgot to celebrate the great things that God has made. And encourage people into it. Manny and I had a, a couple friend in Oklahoma and if you saw them on Facebook you would just think they were just the most beautiful people you'd ever, ever met in your life. They were just pretty people. They raised horses in Oklahoma. They had uh, two, two beautiful girls and were very kind people and uh, two years ago he left the marriage to go pursue a, a gay relationship and if you think that pursuing sexual gratification is going to Lead you to somewhere safe, you're gonna get lost. It's gonna lead you out into the mist. And the lies are so thick, the lies are so strong. I think many times for a, a woman, it sounds like a very flattering thing for a man to say, Oh, I just, you're so beautiful, I just can't resist you. But the problem is, is one day after you're married to that man, is he gonna have that same ability to resist the next woman? who comes along or the next temptation that walks in the door. The greatest compliment a Christian woman should receive is for a man to say, you're so beautiful, but I love God more, and so I'm going to resist the temptations that I'm feeling right now and wait for God's design to take place in our marriage. These are not easy conversations. These are not easy paths to walk on. But these are the paths. I would challenge you to have those conversations. Don't take my word for it. Seek out God's word. Seek out his counsel and see his plans laid out in your life. There are so many people who get lost in the mist when it comes to chasing sexual pleasure. And I love you and I don't want to see you get lost. There are the five pursuits we've mentioned today is laughter, wine, hobby, Wealth and sex. And those are all, you know, these are all general categories that encompass a lot more things than just these single words. You know, part of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is simply the ability to identify these pursuits before they destroy us, you know, before they surprise us, to not be caught off guard. And, you know, it's not always easy to catch. Foolish people get swept away, but wise people recognize mist when they see it. I'm curious, who has their like wallet within reach right now? Like if you have your wallet, we'll just like put your hand on it. If you're a woman with a giant purse, it's probably not worth the time. If I think about what's in this for me, what this represents in my life, there's a lot of pleasure here. Like God has supplied some really amazing things that have allowed me to have a house and to eat three meals today and to care for my kids and buy them clothes and do some fun stuff. And so, like, I'm really thankful for the things that are inside this wallet. And I've got my, my Chase card. If you can see the credit card numbers real fast, buy yourself anything. Okay. Um, but I have to also stare at this and remind myself that, that this is missed. Because if I can't identify it, if I can't realize what it is, then I'm so easily going to get swept away by it. I almost feel like it'd be a fun practice for you to like, put sticky notes on things around your house and just write Hevel. It's just mess. You know what else I have in here? Where did it go? Yeah, I still have it. I have a, a gift card to go eat lunch at the Oak Creek Diner, the one down the street. And uh, that's gonna be delicious. I'm getting pancakes when I go, because I love pancakes and diner pancakes are good, because there's a little bit of sweat and a little bit of grease in there. There's a lot of pleasure there, but I also don't wanna lose myself in that pleasure. Who's got your phone? Can you put your hand on your phone and touch it? There's a lot of great things. Here, this little device allows me to stay connected to my family that's out of town. I've got pictures on here of my kids and my wife, memories that we share. Facebook's logging all of them for me. Does this little electric box also have the possibility to lead me into darkness that will destroy me? Absolutely. When I set this down next to my, my bed at night so I can charge, it's really important that I also remember that this is mist, that this is Hevel, And there are places where this little box can destroy marriages, can destroy men, women, their futures, their children, and it's all sitting right there. And the great things that God has planted into this world for you to enjoy can also lead us to the darkest places. And so how do we find our way it's the beginning of the year like january is like the perfect month for someone to do like some kind of diet or like new workout schedule or some some kind of like health thing which is a great choice i'll see people on on facebook or on instagram that are posting their their workout videos or their jogs or this kind of stuff and like all of this is is really really good i want to tell you when my alarm bells go off my my alarm bells go off when i see someone starting to place health uh physical appearance in the place of salvation, it looks like this. It looks like, hey, um, if you lose this weight, you're gonna you're gonna finally be happy. You are gonna get what you've always wanted. You're gonna start uh, getting the, the the jobs you want, the friends that you want, the marriage that you want. And if you're just if you just lose 20 pounds, like that's this is gonna happen for you. And that we place pleasure in the seat of salvation, and that's when my alarm goes off. That's when I would love for your alarm to go off and say, hold on. No one sits in the seat of salvation. No one's going to replace that because the truth is, is skinny people get depressed and skinny people get divorced and skinny people have all kinds of problems. And when we allow pleasure to lie to us that it has become our salvation, we're absolutely going to lose our way because there's only one person that sits in that throne. There's only one person that brings deliverance and justice and new life to you. There's only one person who can lift the despair off your shoulders. His name is Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for our sins. And every mistake that I've ever made, every mistake that you've ever made, is covered in his sacrifice. And there is nothing that you can do to make that happen on your own. There is no pleasure that will equal that seat. There is no pleasure that deserves to sit in that throne. It's him, and it's just him. The foolish people will be deceived, but wise people never mistake pleasure with salvation. I want you to be the kind of people who never mistake pleasure with salvation. Pleasure will come and go. There are some beautiful things that God has designed in this, in this world for you to experience. But pleasure must never take the seat of salvation. I want to close by reading chapter 5, verse 18 and 20. Ecclesiastes says this, Even so, I've noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is good to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people, I love this, this. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. I want to pray tonight that God will keep you so busy enjoying life that you don't have time to be filled with regret, with frustration, with despair, but that your heart is so filled with gratitude for the good things that God has given you that you will be so busy enjoying life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the good things you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that as we've talked through these different um, pursuits of pleasure tonight, that you would inspire in us a heart of gratitude. You've been so good to us. Let us not be unthankful with the way that you have supplied beyond what we need. You have given us so many good things, and we praise you tonight. I thank you for the relationships you've put into our life. I thank you for the the sustaining wealth that you've put into our life, for the jobs, for the the food and the shelter. God, you've been so g- generous to us, and we give you praise tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us be the type of people who are very alert and are the people who can identify mist when we see it. That if pleasure is working to sweep us away in one direction or the other, I pray, Lord, that you would call us back to you. I pray that you would help us to not be caught off guard and that we would let no pleasure sit in the seat of salvation. There is no replacement for you, God. You are our stronghold. You are our tower. You are our safe place. And we give you praise tonight, and we give you place tonight in our hearts. I pray for everyone who walked in the room tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would allow each one of us to feel seen in your house, that the stress that we walk into this room with, that the questions and the curiosity we walk into the room, this room with, that you would minister to our hearts, that we would hear from you, and you would move in our hearts tonight. We praise you. We praise you for the good things you've given to us and the good things that are ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.